And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley as we begin our Halloween show. Oh, yeah. We got a lot of scary stuff. We'll just start with we're doomed. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be talking the national debt all five hours. <laughs> The scariest thing you can think of. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if people can handle that. We yeah. need to... All right. So uh, uh, I, I tell it every couple of years. I don't think I told it last year, but uh, very quickly there I was back in 1993, 30 years ago. Exactly. Back in the 1900s, kids. Yeah. Exactly. 30 years ago today. Mm-hmm. I was working at our great Red Eye Radio affiliate, WROK in Rockford, Illinois. It was Halloween afternoon. Yeah. When I, my show was on. My producer, Jeff, was telling me that there was a, on the air, he was telling me, oh, by the way, you know, there's, people always report that there's a ghost in the studio. Right. And this is the old building. I think they built a, yeah, they did build a new building. I don't know if they knocked down the old one at all. Hmm. But, uh, so, just kidding around, I said, really? He goes, yeah. And and the ghost makes its presence known. Like, really now? All right. So I just now just said, "What the heck? Why not?" And I said, "If there is a ghost, so I'm going to make a request here. If there is a ghost in this studio, make your presence known now." As soon as I said "now," all the power went out for like about two, three seconds, and then came back on again. God is my witness. So we thought maybe the engineer pulled some kind of trick, and he comes right. running in, going, "What the hell happened?" And nobody knew. And well, so, it is radio. It happens a couple times a week. <laughs> so it was in. It was uh, uh, the last hour of the show. So I get off the air. When I get off the air, the utility people, the electricity people, are in, mm. and they were listening when I said it. They were actually listening in their truck, and they yeah. got the call. And they came over. They go, "We don't know what it is. Probably some kind of power surge." Because there yeah. was no, nothing reported elsewhere. So, a uh, couple of jobs later, uh, there I am working at our great affiliate, <laughs> all affiliates, mm-hmm. 
of uh, Red Eye, KXL in, in Oregon. Right. And I forgot the haunted house that's out there. Uh, it's outside of it's outside of Portland. Can't remember. Oh, I just can't remember what the name of it is. But we actually now all the scary stuff is inside of Portland. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. No. Yeah. And so we go to this haunted house just to do the you know to do the show. Mm-hmm. So I tell the story of what happened a couple of years earlier in Rockford, Illinois. Right. And when I got to that point of saying, "There's a ghost in this studio. Make your presence known now." Mm-hmm. There it is. A couple of years later, Halloween, it would have been probably 90, 97. So it would have been four years later. Mm. I said, make your presence known now. And I was just relating the story. All the power goes out right yeah. when I said it. Right. And we found- You know, if you try that now and it happens, we can go home. <laughs> Give it a shot. It's if there's worth a, a shot. All right. If there's a ghost listening, make your presence known now. No, the electricity isn't supposed to work. <laughs> well, when it, so all the power goes out. And, and all it was was right when I said it, there was some TV guy. Because, like, all the TV stations always go to this haunted house or supposedly mm-hmm. haunted house. Mm-hmm. Halloween. You know, they, nobody's anything else to do on Halloween back then. So it's like, all right, where is there supposed to be a haunted house? Send all the TV stations. It was just some of the TV stations there and the, the TV tech was walking across the front, front lawn and tripped over our electric cord. Oh, gee. <laughs> right at the time that I said yeah, that. Yeah. But it freaked everybody out. I right. mean, it was like, yeah, what? Yeah. Uh, the guy that hired me into radio uh, in 1995, uh, he was terminally ill. He had come back to the town where I started my radio career to say, basically, to, to say goodbye to everyone. And that was where he had last worked also in radio. He hired me in 84. This was October 31st, 1995. And my wife was working at the hospital in administration. And she called me. She said, "Uh, you probably want to get up here. Uh, It was just me and his brother in the room with him when he passed. He passed at 1.21 p.m. Mm -hmm. And at the exact same time that he passed, the station where he hired me and he last worked in that town went off the air. And the thing is, is when, you know, back then, I don't know when it changed or if it ever changed in that town. Uh, like our local engineers, we don't have a, at our station at WBAP, like, you know, the local stations, your transmitters way out, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Well, right, when you're, right. And when you're in a small town and pretty much the town is out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but, you know, it was outside of town and, and, and the transmitter was out there. And so it's right there. But the engineer or whoever's running the station at the moment has to document. You have to write that down. Right. And now I think it's an auto documentation, I think. Uh, so it was all documented. It was one twenty-one in the afternoon. Uh, a gym passed away and the station went off the air exactly at one twenty-one p.m. So the next morning we're all huddled around, you know, and, and at, at that radio station. Um, I had left in March of that year and come down here and worked and worked, but I had gone back because, uh, my mom was sick, uh, and I'd gone back for a short time and I would, that's why I was in that town. And so that morning, November 1st of 95, we we're, you know, remembering our friend 
And then I said, well, I, I've got to go. And I get in the car. Now, I had not started at WBAP yet. I get in the car and, and our friend, our old friend, Mark Davis, was on the midday show at the time. Mm-hmm. And the first call he goes to when I turn my radio on is, hey, you know, we're doing spooky stories. Anything spooky happened to you yesterday or last night on Halloween? And it was a guy calling a caller from Wichita Falls saying, well, it didn't really happen to me, but it happened in this town. And he explained the whole thing with Jim passing away and the transmitter failing at the exact same time. And if there is if there is a way for Jim to have done that, I guarantee you he did it. <laughs> All day. All day, 100%. Well, I, I, I do remember... That uh, when when that happened, when, uh, you know, I said, if there's a ghost in this studio, you know, show me a sign now. And all the power went off. This is when I was working in Rockford, Illinois. And then, you know, people just started calling going, is this a joke? And it's yeah. like, no, I, there's no joke. We we don't. Uh, the Management would not be happy if we somehow shut down the station <laughs> yeah, for two right. or three seconds. Yeah. You know, to to make a Halloween bit, oh, what, and, well, it's, and it this, would be an FCC viola, a violation. Right. And yeah. and, the, and then this this guy calls me, says, "You know something? Ghosts will follow you now." Hmm. Yeah, no, <laughs> the, that's the, the, it, the ghost. The first ghost, thing I thought of, yeah, the, the ghost will follow you now because yeah. you've challenged. So I'm I'm, I'm walking yeah. out of the radio station, looking behind me. I get in my car. I'm looking at the passenger seat. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> right exactly Go, going home <laughs> opening the door closing it very quickly going hmm, okay and that was it I, well was nothing no, nothing else ever happened it's funny because every once in a while i get my I, i'll get my truck you know and i don't know why you just kind of feel kind of something feels creepy well one night i got in my truck and i was it was late at night on the weekend and i had had to i had to run a couple of errands but i came back uh, to my house and I was sitting out front and I turned the truck off, but the radio was still on auxiliary power was still on because I was listening to something on the radio and then whatever it was finished. And I turned the truck off and I sat there for a minute and I was kind of looking around. I was like, wow, this our, my street is really dark tonight. It's really creepy. And then I hear this water bottle, you know, just kind of making that noise. That, and I'm like, what? Because it's right there in my back seat. I didn't even want to turn around. I jump out of my truck, and it just turns out that the water bottle was expanding or something or contracting. It was just, you know, it was, I guess I had crunched it up or something and left it, and it was making noise. I'm like, yeah, I could do that to myself all night, probably. You know, it's, I used to do that when I would come home at 5 a.m. I live in a house that's over 50 years old. So it creaks, you know, the 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 beams move, you know, everything adjusts uh, during the cooler part of the day. And every once in a while, you'll hear something in the attic, you know, and it's just, you know, it's the rafters. It's just the wood adjusting. When, when I started, when I just started doing this show, and then I remember when I built my house. Mm-hmm. When I first built my house, there was nobody around me. No, like, you and, were. And, in fact, I think yeah. that's why you built it there. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> and then all, it was brand new and, area, and, right? And, right, and then all Democrats moved in, and now I'm yeah. in a Democrat because I get that all the time. Why are you in a Democrat precinct? I don't know. I was here first. Yeah, 
but you could see near the the uh, the lake. I found out that there was a a uh, cemetery mm. that from yeah. the 1800s, mm. and uh, it, it's a. Fa- it, I love actually going there and looking at the headstones and looking yeah. at the history there because yeah. there's a couple of Confederate soldiers buried there, whatever, wow. and you know mm. this family that that lived there. But they call it the Confederate Cemetery, and they mm. say there's you know there's a it's considered. A haunted cemetery. Yeah. I mean, all- wouldn't they all be if you believe in hauntings? Yes, exactly. Aren't they all? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. wouldn't every cemetery be haunted? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The, the spirits are all over. Right. And and so uh, I remember checking it out, but I could actually, I could see in the direction, there was a clear shot to it, mm. you know, probably, oh, I don't know, maybe half mile away, whatever. Yeah. Two, I'm thinking 2,000 feet maybe. Right. Probably about four or five or six blocks. But remember, nothing was there and so right. i could see over there yeah. and they said there's all i remember looking out my backyard looking for some type of uh of uh of of red light whatever and you know never never and and i've been there a million times because it's a wonderful history lesson to go mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. uh but uh i'll never forget you know going in my house when i first built my house and thinking about that and i had this light that uh i still have it i said a couple of lights were you know the front of uh, uh, when you walk in the house and right at the front there in the entry table, mm-hmm. I have two lights that if you touch the base of it, it will go on. Mm-hmm. Well, every single night for like the first two weeks that I lived in my house, that light would be on when I would come out in the morning. It's like, oh, no. Well, yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's, for those touch lamps, it's, it's, it's hard for them to actually be turned on. Yeah. They can if they're three-way. They can sometimes with a power surge, they can... You know, it could it could go from low to medium or medium to high, but for them to actually be turned on because of a power surge would be that yeah. would be. I a mean, it was good it was surge. it was three way. It was a, it's a three way. Right, yeah. right. So I mean, but, but you, for you, it to turn right. on from right. nothing from nothing right is, is not. And it was like for like two weeks. It was like yeah. Like, oh no, I've been going back to Rockford. The spirits followed me in here. The <laughs> exactly. demons follow. The demons followed me in. Yeah. Now the light's always on because the cat always jumps up on the bah. table and hits it. There you go. But then it went off, and that was that was it. So there I, uh, we were going to move into a house one time in uh, the same neighborhood, and they had just put up this beautiful, really nice, brand new privacy fence, and I thought, great. Now, I didn't. I wasn't familiar with that part of the neighborhood just yet. I had not. I had come in from one side of the house had I come in from another direction, I would have seen what was right behind the backyard. And I mean, right over on the other side of the fence, a cemetery. And I said, Nope, Nope. It just did. I just, and people live there. Somebody's living there right now. Well, that's what happened. They built all the blocks. There's probably four or five blocks of houses. Yeah. And there's houses that I mean, are, you know, that cemetery's there, and then the fence of the the property, the wood fence of the backyard, is five feet away. Yeah. So people look out their windows, and there is that. It's the, right there. The cemetery is right there. Yeah. And it's a very nice section. I mean, it's you when you when you. I mean, it's a you know, a beautiful forest and very very small cemetery right near the lake. Mm-hmm. I mean, right near. I mean, you you would walk past the cemetery and then walk down this little road, and the lake is right down there. Right. Uh, but uh, they live, you know, right there. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know if I would have built there. <laughs> have you ever seen the cemetery on 183 on the median on 183? 
There are only, it's very few graves in this tiny oh, cemetery. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's right yes, there. Yes. It's right, right in, like, right, uh, are you in, in, right in Irving then? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's between the access road and the, and the freeway up on a hill. Well, I did see the other day at uh, a YouTube, was Halloween, a YouTube video that, uh, where the Buffalo Bills play, you know, yeah. the, uh, at Highmark Stadium, and they're building right. a new stadium, and they're talked about, and they said, you know, but when they knock down the old stadium, the cemetery will be right there, and there's a cemetery right there, like in the park, right next to the parking lot. The stadium, like, hovers right over it, and there's this family cemetery right there. Wow. And the guy, family, this guy takes care of it, and he's never met anybody. It's his family, but he's never met, you know, they they all uh, died, you know, 100 yeah. years ago. Right, but right. it's like uh, yeah. the family cemetery, and he takes care of it. Wow. And he's got, like, little Buffalo Bills flags on him. Oh, yeah, they got to be Bills fans. They must be Bills fans, yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. That's well. I mean, but that would be it. I mean, you know, pre-development. That's yeah. what that's what you would have. Uh, whether it's a neighborhood or city or county cemetery or something, or just a family cemetery, uh, and then people built around it, and that's what happened in in the neighborhood I li- I live in, and it's a very nice cemetery. It's it's small. It's about mm-hmm. the. It's about the uh, size of two home lots. It's okay. not very big. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't think my mind would be going a million miles an hour. And it was a two-story house. <laughs> so from the upstairs, I could definitely see over that fence all the time. Nah, I'll go somewhere else. Well, we have stories that have nothing to do with Halloween that will scare the hell out of you. Yeah, actual, actual scary stories. <laughs> exactly. We do. <laughs> Yeah. Forget about ghosts and goblins. Yeah. We have Biden. <laughs> All of them. Multiple Bidens to talk about. Wow. We got a great show ahead. 86690 Red Eye. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. With advanced synthetic technology is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. As the seasons change, so does truck maintenance. Cold weather can affect everything from your batteries and air brake system to tire inflation and fuel lines. Here's a maintenance tip to help make sure your rig is ready when winter comes knocking. Have your batteries tested by a certified technician. Dead batteries are one of the most common causes of winter breakdowns. Testing them now will indicate whether or not they can keep up with electrical demands of your truck this winter. When you have your batteries tested, check the alternator for sufficient amperage and voltage output as well. Find a professional technician near you to have your batteries and alternator tested today so you'll be ready when the seasons change. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price 
you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara. I would agree with you because uh, you, you were just uh, we were just talking uh, during the, uh, the the break there, and you just said, "Wow!" You just said, "I just you knew that there was anti-Semitism out there in the United States, but it's almost like and these are Americans, yeah. You know, it's almost like they're cheering their sports teams, yeah. It's, and that, it, that Hamas is their sports team, and it's, it's bizarre to it, watch. It really, really is because. It, Part of me wants to say, all right, this is fake. This is AI. This is, you know, a deep fake video. I'm not watching a real thing here. But it's it's real. It's very real. And they have that kind of enthusiasm. You know, you know, you're aware that it exists. If you've been around for any amount mm-hmm. of time, you know that it exists. But to the point that they're cheering it on and proudly promoting it as if they were cheering their favorite football team is absolutely bizarre. It's just wild. Uniden America Studios. And he is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. You want to know how screwed up we are in this country right now with mm. this administration? Mm. A federal judge yesterday, think of it, just listen to this, because this is, I read the first sentence, I'm like, uh, we're in a bizarre world. That sounds like a Babylon right. B headline, doesn't it? Yes, a federal judge on Monday ordered the Biden administration to stop cutting razor wire on fences along the southern border in Texas, meant to stop illegal migrant crossings. Uh, uh, The judge uh, of the uh, U.S. District Court for the Western District of Texas on Monday ordered the Department of Homeland Security to stop disassembling, degrading, and tampering with miles of razor wire running along the Rio Grande near Eagle Pass. The temporary order is a result of a lawsuit brought 
by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson arguing that federal officials said they had the authority to uh, destroy state property to show uh, illegal uh, immigrants to enter and be processed. Paxson asked the court for an immediate injunction last week, uh, noting his request to the court that federal agents escalated matters, trading bolt cutters for industrial strength telehandler forklift to dismantle the Texas border fence. Hmm. Federal agents used a hydraulic-powered pallet forks to rip the Texas fence. I, you I mean you just you just shake your you you shake your head. It's just absolutely unbelievable what's going on. I tell you this: we never got a chance to talk about it the other day, but you saw, and this is working through the Texas legislature, where the state of Texas. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, was it the uh, was it the House? I think it was the the, the Texas House that uh, passed a law saying that local law enforcement can arrest uh, illegal immigrants. Right. Now, this is to go after. They're doing this not because they believe that they can have this policy that won't be challenged by the federal government. They know it will be challenged by the federal government, and they wish to put this back before the Supreme Court, which is goes back to the Arizona law, yeah. which is, a, what, over a decade old, where yeah. Yeah. Uh, you had Arizona law enforcement uh, because of the you know the, the 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 governor because of illegal immigration saying we're going to help you mm-hmm. we're going to help you we're going to look for illegal immigrants right. and the federal government came in and said no you can't you can't help us only we uh, only we can enforce the border and the Supreme Court at that time backed them up on it mm-hmm. and. We asked, and I think it's a totally legitimate question, when you look at, you know, how this Constitution was formed. If the federal government will not do their duty, and the federal government is responsible for complete chaos in a state, because, yeah, traditionally you would look at it and you'd say, yeah, the the border, that would be a... You know, that would be a federal government responsibility. It's the border of the United States. Right. But when the government on purpose harms a state by not following the letter of the law, the federal law, say, no, 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 we can have, you know, we we, we have leeway here. And so we're just not going to enforce it. And we're going to create massive chaos in border cities in those states Do those states under our Constitution have the right to defend themselves? Absolutely. They do. And I I believe that under the Constitution, and we said this back with the Arizona law. Right. When the Supreme Court said it. We said, no, if the federal government is going to advocate their responsibility and the federal government, by their behavior, Behavior blatantly will harm a state. Does the state have no recourse? In fact, I would argue the state has an obligation. So would I, yes. 
if at for any reason, deliberately or otherwise, the federal government fails in its job to protect the people of, in this case, Arizona back then, uh, that was when uh, Jan Brewer was governor, then that state, I would argue, has an obligation to fulfill that role. Because remember, the elected representatives through the people of the United States created border laws. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, they said, okay, we'll give the federal government leeway in certain situations. Mm-hmm. But as we've seen here, this administration has said, let's get as close to open borders as we can and let's do whatever we can to create chaos in these border cities in the state of Texas, create absolute chaos Mm -hmm. and do nothing about it and pretend it's not happening. Right. Does a state at that point have... I would say the constitutional authority or the constitutional duty. If the federal government will go rogue, Mm -hmm. does the state have no choice except to accept what the federal government is doing? I think they have an obligation. I think they have an obligation. It is their sworn duty, the leaders of that state and enforcement in that state. It wasn't like back then, Arizona was trying to set up its own state border crossing and enforce it that way. They were looking for people who were in their state illegally. In my opinion, they get to do that. And in fact, when the federal government fails, they have an obligation to do that. Well, we always thought it was fascinating that in that Supreme Court ruling, not under a conservative Supreme Court, by the way, at Mm. that point, Mm -hmm. that under that ruling, localities don't have to cooperate with the federal government. They don't have to abide. Right. They can can have sanctuary policies. They can have sanctuary policies, which is actually against federal law. Right. That's okay that a state can basically... <laughs> put up their hand and uh <laughs> and uh point a particular finger right at the federal government that no we're not going to abide by your laws and we're not going to cooperate right but if a st- and and that can pass constitutional muster but if you wish to cooperate and enforce federal law which the federal government is not doing Then the federal government can clamp down on you and say, don't help us. We don't want the help. We want chaos at the border. Right. Something seems wrong with that. And I think most Americans would look at it and go, yeah, something's wrong with that kind of law. Right. How on one hand, they can just flout the law. And on the other hand, when they wish to help enforce the border law that the federal government is not doing, States are restricted from doing that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it will be interesting to see where this case in Texas goes. And I would love to see the Supreme Court revisit all of that. 
if you look at the the way the sanctuary policy is, think about this. If federal authorities came to your door and said, we believe we know that someone that is wanted is on your property and you didn't cooperate, what do you think would happen? That's really what sanctuary city policy is. Mm -hmm. Now, they split it down this technicality line. But essentially, that's the intent of that policy. We will not cooperate when federal authorities are trying to do their job. We will impede that process. That's what I would argue at the, at the Supreme Court. I don't know why it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't. I didn't hear that argument. But saying that, okay, we're not going to spend the money on it. Well, it goes beyond that. Because you see now Sanctuary County, Sanctuary State. And they are deliberately promoting it. We're not going to do it. Unless you're in New York City. Now they're wanting the judge to stop it. Because things are so bad. No, no, things are so good. Mm Mm-hmm. They want oh. the judge. Remember, they want the judge to stop it because oh, yeah. it's, sanctuary it's a, cities are working. What do you it. call it? It is a, it is a good, it is it is a good model. It is a successful right. It's model. A, it's is what such, he said. Right, sanctuary cities yeah. are such a successful model that Mayor Adams, who said that last week, just right. a few weeks, well, a few weeks, well, a few months before that, mm-hmm. was attempting to get a judge to get rid of the sanctuary right. city. Yeah, same status. guy, same guy, same exact guy. same guy. Yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that the constituents in those cities are done. They're done. And I don't know how much longer a sanctuary city policy remains in in place when you've got everything that is imploding and backfiring on the left. Abstract versus reality. Defund the police. No, wait a minute. We need more police. You know, the recruiting efforts right now in some of these cities is over the top. Because what happened, what we said was going to happen, came true. They don't want it. Who wants to work in a city where management at any turn might, for their political gain, scream defund the police? You want your hands tied? No. I'll go work somewhere where it's appreciated. There's a there is a seismic shift going on in this country that's been going on for a while. It's been going on for a few years, but you add to it the massive weight of anti-Semitism, as we mentioned earlier. People openly, proudly promoting Hamas. That, to me, we said it from the beginning, after the attack on Israel, this is the line that separates the radicals from everybody else. And the radicals are proudly promoting their radical views. Not only that, but you see where it's all coming from. It's coming from 
uh, liberalism. It's coming from young people. It's coming from our higher institutions yeah. of learning right. that have been promoting equity and DEI, and mm-hmm. they are the most mm-hmm. racist, anti-Semitic, bigoted, and intolerant people I've seen in this country yep. in a hundred years. Yep. Yep. And they claim to be the opposite. And they are what they claim they hate. Well, and, and after this, I don't know how you go back. No. You, know, you and I were talking during a break earlier. You know, it used to be back in the day. All bigotry is bad. Not anti-Semitism anymore. Not on some of these campuses. Not with these radicals. They're proudly promoting their hatred. 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. Here's Eric Carley, and uh, I am Gary McNamara. Yeah, when you when you look at it, and uh, and it's interesting because as we move away from the immediacy of the terrorist, uh, the the terrorist acts on Israelis, and the the absolute horror of it from Hamas and the beheading of babies and everything else it's exactly like we thought it was going to be you know the 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 push and netanyahu came out yesterday and said sorry no ceasefire yeah and and so many of the questions to kirby yesterday from the press well how can you guarantee that no civilians are going you know i don't think anybody used the word guarantee but how can you uh or or israel assure us that civilians won't die Mm. well they will die they will idf talked about that uh and and has for years, but several times before uh, this next stage in the war. And they said, we we worked to give everybody time to get out. And But the reality is, is there will be casualties, civilian casualties. The difference is they don't target civilians. Hamas does and proudly promotes it. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. 
This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. It was interesting because during a uh, commercial break about uh, about 45 minutes ago, you were you just you know looked at me and you just said, you know, I even had to turn off the TV because, you know, you, you look at the anti-Semitism that's out there and it's just like mm-hmm. you can't at times believe, you know, this is our country. The the uh, the one story out there, 100, 100 Columbia professors uh, wrote a letter saying, uh, you know, we need to uh, we need to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, protect and, and understand why students at uh, Columbia are pro Hamas. And I mean, it's getting to be just it's it's pure insanity. I'm. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised that it exists, but I'm I'm surprised by the bluntness of it as we move away from the atrocities of Hamas and now uh, into Israel, whose goal now is to eradicate every single member of Hamas. Yeah. And I'm not surprised by the media's reaction. You know, Kirby was taking question after question from uh, a liberal journalist about, you know, will Israel abide by the rules of law and are they abiding by the rules of uh, of, of law after this all uh, uh, happened? And they're playing into exactly the propaganda that Hamas wishes yeah. the, the U.S. media yep. uh, to do. Yep. But when you look at everything, when you look at everything that, you know, you and I have talked about over the last uh, uh, couple of years and have challenged and at times have been in the the minority voice. We were the correct voice, but we were the minority voice. Mm-hmm. And you look at how we have attacked uh racism on a consistent basis that and we have explained over and over again for years about identity politics that is owned by liberals and the Democratic Party. It is mainstream in the Democratic Party that you judge people by the group that they're in, not as individuals. Everything that you see, anti-Semitism, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, everything was based on dividing people by race, and it was endorsed by Democrats. This is something that Republicans and the Republican leadership don't talk about enough. You and I have talked about it for years. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask yourself this question. Remember. Uh, remember the Georgia election law. Remember President yeah. Biden coming out and stating that it was Jim Crow. Yep. It was Jim Crow 2.0. It was Jim Crow on steroids. Mm-hmm. That an election law in Georgia was only put in there to deny minorities the right to vote. It was an absolute lie. It had nothing to do with Jim Crow. If you look at what Jim Crow was and look at the Georgia election law, and then the polling that went on after the Georgia election law went into effect on elections held afterwards about whether people were satisfied, including blacks and other minorities, of the election process, and the approval rating was through the roof. Yeah. And as we have stated at that point, you have to understand it's not joking around. It's extremely serious when the president of the United States as he did at that time, lied about the Georgia election law, lied about the Texas election law. 
in order to to in order to encourage people to hate each other based on the color of their skin. This is the president of the United States in the United States of America. And as we know, the Georgia election law, we know what happened. Remember Major League Baseball mm-hmm. moving the, the All-Star, All-Star game, game yep. to Arizona and hurting a tremendous number of minority-owned businesses that would have benefited from the All-Star game being in Atlanta, all based on a lie. Yep. Black Lives Matter. We know where they are now. Mm-hmm. They promoted the same kind of lie. And what was that about in the summer of 2020 and promoted by Democrats and liberals? It was the entire lie that police departments are systemically racist Mm -hmm. to hunt down and kill blacks. Mm -hmm. No evidence was needed saying it was enough. When you think about it, it was really uh, an offshoot of Me Too. No evidence is needed. It just exists. Critical race theory comes from the same thing as me, Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. That, well, no, you don't discuss it. It's just it. The same mentality. The same mentality. Uh, You're you're guilty uh, until proven guilty. (laughs) And and it's, you know, they stated it as fact, which is what's going on yesterday morning on social media. It was relentless, and I was telling you earlier, as you mentioned, and it was to the point, after about two and a half hours, I was like, all right, I'm going to turn this off for a minute. Because the anti-Semitism and the people promoting proudly their bigotry was so over the top. I thought to myself, I don't know how how the left goes back from that. That was that was that was my next point. Yeah, where do you go as a you know we we had said this before with with the 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 Democrats identity politics is so institutionalized in the Democratic Party and and we made this we made this case way back in the summer of twenty twenty when Black Lives Matter came around where they said you you don't believe that racism is is systemic and institutional and we said of course it is it's right inside the Democratic Party. You're looking at the wrong place. They've institutionalized it. It's become systemic inside the Democratic Party, Mm -hmm. and here's why. Right. And you know what happened? More people. (laughs) I know because uh, I get the emails. You guys were right. You guys were right. I was wondering. You guys were the minority voice back then. Mm -hmm. You're the Well, we're not idiots. Right. I understand racism. I understand anti-Semitism. I've studied history. You've studied history. We know how it starts. We know how it begins. We know how it can end. We have seen it. We know the process uh, and, and the propaganda that promotes racism, bigotry, intolerance, anti-Semitism. We know it. And it's not hard to spot it. And so that's all we did was recognize it and say, Mm -hmm. okay, they're making this claim here. Where's the evidence and what does that mean? And critical race theory was the ultimate. Oh, yeah. You know, whites are basically culturally racist to the point where it might as well be in their DNA. And if a white person tells you that uh, they don't uh, that they don't see color, well, that's how you know that they're racist at that particular point because 
you know, they deny that they are racist. And it's culturally, it's so ingrained into them where they don't even know it. Well, that's really convenient, isn't it? Mm. And then when you get people say, well, I don't see color. Well, of course you see color. What, you you don't recognize that someone's black? Well, no, I recognize color of eyes, too. Uh, I realize the the length of noses and the different lips and the different hair color out there. I don't judge a damn person by that. Well, that's, that's what that means. You know, this is what it comes down to is that the left has zero room anymore. None. It's all out the window. And where do they go? That's that we we always ask the question. How do you backtrack on identity politics? I, I don't know how and, you do and, it and pretend that you're the tolerant side, that you're the ones working against bigotry. Yeah. Nope. That's over. That is over. There's no way back from it. I don't know what you do. What do you promote on stage? At the convention in Chicago next summer. What do you do? Oh, wow. I mean. You probably won't hear we stand by God in Israel. You're not going to hear that. At some point, Biden, if he's still the guy, is going to have to speak. I suspect the war is not going to be over. How how does Biden stand on that stage and continue to announce support for Israel in that room with all the other Democrats, top Democrats in the nation right there? And and you think about it, and, and I saw Dershowitz yesterday said DEI is Department of Anti-Semitism. Yeah. Uh, uh, hmm. he was he was making that point on universities hmm. and companies and everything else. Hmm. DEI, you look at it, it's anti-Semitic, you know. It, yeah. and, and we've talked about DEI already. Mm-hmm. The corporations have embraced mm-hmm. that is horribly bigoted, right? Absolutely horribly horribly bigoted because it makes assumptions about what certain groups of people think, right? And and how they and 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 how they react. And you can't do that. You're never going to solve the problem unless you believe that you judge each and every individual as an individual right and you judge them by their character and as we've talked about we're in talk radio and the substance of their 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 arguments or truthfulness but all, that all goes into uh character of a you know of a a person but as we've said before if a president because this is this is the benchmark here if a president will absolutely lie about an election law in Georgia as he did to make to to hopefully encourage based on a lie people to hate each other based on skin color then tell me how far they tell me how far they won't go well that's it and you know yesterday after i turned everything off i thought okay now it's time to digest all this of what i'm seeing and how does a because you know still going through show prep and everything else How does a party led by Joe Biden, who is officially supporting Israel, how does he as a candidate continue to do that? 
the anti-Semitism is growing. Well, so, well, so, you know, but you know, the thing is, so here's the here's the problem mm. with with uh, with with what Biden and other Democrats are doing. Mm. They're trying to play that same game where they're walking the tightrope. Yeah. We, su- we, we support, support Israel, we support but, Israel but, but you need to not do this and not right. do this and try and put right. the uh, reins on on uh, on Israel and 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 suggest that they are going to remain neutral or, or as and, a country, we're going to remain right. neutral. And, 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 and as the, the, the fact is, the anti-Semites now are out there absolutely blunt in no, it's justifiable to kill Jewish civilians. Yeah. It's justifiable to right. behead babies. Right. This is all justifiable now. And so there is no we support Israel in any manner. No. From the president. And that's where that's where the Democratic Party. But that's where you go in a party and in a political mindset that is based on judging people by groups and not individuals. It is the only place that it can go. And so Biden's being criticized. You saw the squad now. Biden's going to lose a Muslim vote because he's supporting Israel in any way. And that's the problem that Biden has now, because as he tries to moderate, you know, as, as again, we look at it and say, what's your behavior? You're still not enforcing the embargo on, on Iranian oil, which is giving them money to attack Israel and attack our interest. And you still will not couple. Wall Street Journal had an article on that, I think, two days ago saying it's really incredible that they, they, they're trying to make a thing that this is Hamas and Hezbollah. And yes, Iran is behind all of it, but uh, the money that Iran gets that the United States has allotted to get has nothing really to do with it. Don't, don't really, don't, <laughs> don't look behind the curtain on that one. Right. Don't look at the man behind the curtain on that one. We're just going to attempt to ignore it. But you can't. That's part of the behavior, as we've said. That's part of the anti-Semitic behavior. And it's only going to um, grow. It's not going away. It's not going to turn around. There, no, one's gonna, no one from that group is going to say, oh, sorry, we were wrong. Yeah. It's only going to go further in, in that direction. So between now and nine months from now, when the convention is in Chicago, Tell me how he's not booed off stage in the spirit of anti-Semitism. I, it's everything really landed, seemed to land in front of me yesterday where it's exactly what you and I have been saying. Radicals on one side, everybody else on the other. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing where... Identity politics, once you accept it for one group, mm-hmm. eventually starts to cover every single group, even to the point of the insanity of justifying the killing of civilians, the mass killing, torture, beheading of babies in front of their parents. That is justifiable because it's all part of identity politics. Jews bad. Palestinians good, mm-hmm. which of course is insane based on the law and the fact that Israel is a modern Western democracy and Hamas and the uh, 
the, the, the charter and the goal of the Palestinian Authority is to eradicate Israel. Right. Not the other. It's not the same way, the other way around. And that's the thing. It is so obvious. You know, it's 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 as it's as obvious as it's as obvious as how wrong racism is to judge people by groups and not as individuals. Mm. Yeah, it's as obvious as as yeah. how stupid bigotry is. Yet bigotry and intolerance and racism now has become institutionalized in the Democratic Party and in the liberal mindset. Right. And that's why we were very serious when Biden back then said that the Georgia election law was Jim Crow on steroids, Jim Crow 2.0. And we uh, we said he's as bad as any type of white supremacist hate leader out there trying to get people to hate each other based on skin color and based on a lie. That's what hate group leaders do. Right. Well, don't be surprised if it gets you to the point of the anti-Semitism that you see today. That is the next logical consequence. Yep. 86690 Red Eye. Brought to you by FPPF Fuel Power Max. Surviving and thriving as an owner operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue. Like the chief financial officer of any company, you have to be concerned about rising costs, especially without increases in revenue. Trying to reduce costs, let alone make sense of them, can be a complicated task. Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. A penny saved could be $1,000 earned. Saving just one penny per mile over 100,000 miles driven annually will deliver $1,000 to the bottom line at the end of the year. Brought to you by Shell Rotella. With advanced synthetic technology is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. I'm telling you more. I've heard more on EVs over, and, and the, the grid and everything else over the uh, last couple of weeks than I have in a long time. Yeah, uh, and yeah. you see the you see the one where uh, California's going to have trouble producing uh, power with wind and solar because they don't have the electric lines to carry it? Right. You've got to have the infrastructure. <laughs> we'll get to that and more coming up. of government, Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. You know, we're going to be talking about this uh, a lot because it's not going to be going away. And, you know, you you uh, talking about being on social media and looking at TV and stuff yesterday and saying, seeing all the anti-Semitism and going, geez, it just can't, 
<laughs> can't deal with it right now. I've got to take a, uh, a rest uh, uh, from it. It's something that you and I have recognized for the longest time coming from, uh, from liberalism, and, and that's the identity politics. And all of this is based on identity politics. And it's interesting that when, um, I think it was a National Review article last week that brought up the Atlantic article hmm. that was written by a liberal who said, you know, what's going on with uh, all of, you know, my my liberal friends in there and their insane support yeah. of Hamas. Right. What worse is coming from? And it came right down to what we said it would always would be and what the problem the Democrats are going to have in the future. And that is identity politics. It's simple. It's a, such a simple concept. Yep. And most of us, that's how we go about our lives. But when you think about it, when you think when the polling came out from Harvard Harris, think about this, the young people, the young, highly educated people in this country are the most bigoted. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. The ones who are obsessed with identity as a form of morality. Yeah. Admittedly, yeah. do not judge people as individuals, but they view their their correct morality is judging people by the group that they are in mm -hmm. based on sex, mm -hmm. race, gender, mm -hmm. um, religion, mm -hmm. that everybody thinks the same in that group. And now we know the step that they've taken it further in is if you're Jewish, that justifies a genocide. Right. We're going to judge you now as a particular group where genocide is justifiable because you're in this particular group. I mean, it's where identity politics eventually leads you to. So I'm not surprised by that. Looking at human history, the fact that I'm we surprised, got here, at, I'm surprised at the bluntness of it, and how quickly it, the it, promotion of it is. It's it's it has it's happened. It. it has ramped up in a month. Yeah, just over three weeks, and now it's it is the Pandora's box. There is no reversing it. There is no turning this around. The radicals have spoken, and they're proudly promoting their radical views. And it's sickening. Yeah. It really yeah. is sickening. That's the one thing that, that hit me yesterday morning. You know, because it, it there was part of me that really didn't want to believe that so many people were so proud to feel that way. You know they exist. You know they're out there. Mm -hmm. But my gosh, it was my because my you and I always try and walk things through. What is next? Well, it's not going to be. Well, well, we were wrong. Sorry, we apologize. That's never going to happen. That won't happen. So where do you go next? Because it's 
always the loudest voices on the left leading the party. That's been the case for a long time. And this isn't just, you know, some protesters. If you're a Democrat, if you're a rank-and-file Democrat, it is time to separate yourself from the radicals. I don't know how to do that. I don't, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But if you don't agree with them, if you don't believe they represent you, you should make that known. Because there are two sides, radicals and everyone else. Yeah, and it's uh, and and it's pretty, pretty obvious. I know that uh, the the story yesterday about the hundred Columbia professors, Mm. that's the one that I went, wow. Yeah, Uh, this is more than 100 Columbia University professors signed letter defending students who supported Hamas's military action against Israel. Makes me want to go back to college again just to create a nightmare for those professors. Yeah, right. It really does because when you when you see that, that's when you just you you just you shake your head and and I thought you know when when you saw the other day because remember the the squad was being hammered and all of a sudden Talib comes out and you, other members of the squad comes out and says if the president doesn't want watch it he's going to lose Muslim support in mm-hmm. the United States mm-hmm. and you would expect that the White House would come blasting back and they didn't they no, were they quiet didn't. on it they were very quiet yep. I don't know that there was any response to it. Yeah. At all. I don't and I don't believe there was a question asked about it. No. There might have been. I didn't see it mm. anywhere highlighted that a reporter asked the question that uh you know, do you have members of the Democratic uh uh Congressional Caucus uh you know saying that you're going to lose Muslim support uh because you're not supporting and they'll say the Palestinians instead of Hamas. Right. But you're not supporting the Palestinians and you're supporting Israel. And they said you'll lose, you know, do you have a reaction to it? But you would think that that would be the kind of statement that you would want to come out. But the problem with this White House is they've been playing it. And we've said this for the longest time. You know, uh, Obama would do it at times. Mm. He would try to play both sides of it. We support Israel. Israel, don't do anything wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we you know, support it right up to the point of defending yourself. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the, you know, that that's that's the problem that they have. And Biden even recognizes I can't I need to support Israel, but I need to be always warning that we need to be worried about Israel committing war crimes. Right. Well, no, this is and this is the Hamas playbook. They know this. They knew this was going to happen. You attack. You retreat, you have, uh, you're holding people hostage. You know that Israel is going to look to get the word out to civilians in Gaza to get out of the way. You know that they're going to take their time in preparing. You know there's going to be that time. We said this, we've been talking about it, and it actually did come true because this is the way it works. Because Hamas knew this. They read it like a book. And they know that the Western world will then look at Israel as the aggressor. The rest of the world, the radicals of the world, 
hold that position. Israel is the aggressor. There needs to be a ceasefire. We support you, but you can't do anything about it. Where is he, uh, this Charles Cook, where is the outrage over American citizens still held hostage by Hamas? Right. The lack of media coverage of the hostages is disgraceful and weakens the power of American citizenship. Wow. Well, you, because you have radicals in newsrooms and they don't want to they don't want to do the story. They don't want to focus on that. What are the names of the 10 American citizens who, per our secretary of state, are still being held in Gaza by Hamas? How old are they? Are they adults or children, women or men, retired or working age? Where are they? Have we any insight into their condition? What chance is there of their release? And if so, what is the federal government doing so to secure it? I ask these questions as a political writer and more as an American citizen who has been alarmed by the subdued coverage of this crisis in the media and by the apparent lack of interest in the topic within the Biden administration. Describing the situation last week, Secretary Blinken confirmed that we're still, we've still got 10 unaccounted for Americans, and worse yet, that the U.S. government believes that some significant number of those unaccounted Americans are hostages who have been captured by Hamas. Okay, so who are they and what's the plan to get them back? These are not idle questions. The attack of September or of October 7th claimed 33 American lives, making it one of the deadliest terrorist attacks for Americans in history. If, as Senator, excuse me, as Secretary Blinken suggests, another 10 Americans remain captive in Gaza, then the attack of October 7th was also, is also, one of the worst hostage situations for Americans on record. In any other era, these facts would have guaranteed wall-to-wall coverage in the press and regular updates from the president. In different circumstances, we'd see the hostages' photographs in the daily newspapers. We'd see uh, uh, the, the banners on cable news. Hamas hostage crisis, 27 days and counting. We'd hear journalists demanding information daily in the White House briefing room. Instead, the matter has been treated as a mere afterthought. If one of them played for the WNBA, we'd damn sure hear about it. Why? I'm afraid that the answer is both obvious and overdetermined. Because Joe Biden is unpopular and his likely opponent is Donald Trump. Because the echoes of Jimmy Carter's failures give our newsrooms heartburn. Because Jews were the victims in this one and in our current hierarchy of uh, the deserving Jews seemed not to count for a great deal. This is a disgrace. Above all else, a federal government exists to represent the United States and its people in the world. We can and do argue vehemently about what other roles Washington, D.C. ought to perform. But as the Constitution makes abundantly clear, foreign policy represents the bare minimum of its responsibilities. In 1963, President Kennedy suggested that 2,000 years ago, the proudest boast was uh, was uh, the Romanian sum. Today in, in today in the world, freedom, the proudest boast is <laughs> Ich bin ein Berliner. I have always thought this was bunk. Then as now, the proudest boast ought to be I am an American citizen. Yeah. In this, I side with the British Prime Minister, Lord Palmerston, who explained to the House of Commons in 1850 that his decision to send a gunboat to Greece in defense of a British citizen who had been targeted 
uh, by an anti-Semitic mob uh, that had been directly inspired by uh, Rome. He said, so also as a British subject in whatever land uh, it may be, shall feel confident that the watchful eye and the strong arm of England will protect him from injustice and, uh, and wrongdoing. And, yeah, I mean, that when you think about it here, any other time with hostages, especially with such a horrendous the terrorist acts uh, that were instituted by, the, uh, by Hamas, mm-hmm. you would have thought there would have been an obsession in the media oh, yeah. with hostages. Yeah. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And if it hasn't happened by now, tell me what would change that. It's not going to happen now. It's not going to happen. It's not. It's an afterthought. Yep. 86690-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Friday Radio. He is Eric Harley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, good morning. I see this here. Harvard president announces advisory council to combat anti-Semitism on campus. No longer will accept it. Hmm. We'll see. How yeah. do you get that out of identity politics? All of it. All the. If you want to know where the core of it is, and I'm talking racism, anti-Semitism, bigotry, intolerance, the authoritarian mindset. It is solidly in the higher institutions of learning in the United States that the left wants you, the taxpayer, to pay for that education. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't know where it goes from here. Because there's no doubt that institutions will will hit a wall and they'll, they'll face backlash. I don't know to what extent. Only time will tell. But for the radical left, they're not going away. They're not going to change their position no, no. on any of this. And they always lead the party. And... I don't know if you're a Democrat, whether you hold office or you're a rank-and-file Democrat. A rank-and-file can easily separate themselves from it. They just simply don't have to promote bigotry. And they, they stay away from it. They disavow it. But what about the Democrats on Capitol Hill? How's that going to play out between now and... I don't know, as long as the war goes on between Israel and Hamas. It will be very interesting to watch. is Red Eye Radio on Westwood. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. 
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Jeez. Just as I get on the air, something gets in my eye. Uh, That's when I'm about to read something, but I guess that's I can do it. just great. Okay, it's over in the corner of the eye now. So yeah, well, it's not bothering me at the moment. You need some eye wash, eye eh, drops. I think it'll it'll. Let me just. Will you pull the eyelid? Right. I don't know. Will you pull the eyelid? I don't know. It's supposed to go away. All right. Seems okay. I, I I can read what I want to read. I, I saw this and I went, finally, finally, finally. Uh, you know, we've always said that the problem with the Biden administration is not that they can't solve the problems that organically happen, but they actually create the problems. Right, right. All right. Yeah. I was just uh, going through the Federalist and uh, Eddie Scary with a uh, Joe Biden isn't managing our or confronting problems. He is the problem. Yeah. Uh. And just the way that he writes it, because he, he talks about some of the headlines in the newspapers. There's a simple pattern that the media follow when covering each new crisis that pops up during Biden's catastrophic presidency. A calamity occurs, either domestically or abroad. And rather than examining the cause, the media instantly frame Biden as the hero of the battle. Mm. Hyperinflation, a glaring liability that looms, the New York Times. War in Ukraine. Joe Biden marshals U.S. allies against Russia. Gas prices. Biden's frustration with soaring prices from the Washington Post. War in Israel. Why this Israel-Gaza conflict is so complicated for Biden. Folks, he's frustrated, folks. It's complicated for Biden, folks. New York Times' David French offers up the same spot treatment for the president this week under the headline, Joe Biden knows what he's doing. In the piece, boy, whatever happened, what the hell ever happened to David French? You used to be able to read him, and now he's even, he's just gone full whack yeah, job. Yeah, he really has. Yeah, yes. uh, in the peach, in the peach, in the piece, French implores his readers to consider all it is that Biden confronts, a war in Ukraine, another one in the Middle East, plus the ever-present threat of China. And keep in mind, Biden is managing these conflicts all while trying to make sure that the nation emerges from a pandemic with inflation in retreat and its economy intact. Folks, keep in mind, folks, Biden is trying, folks. He's managing lots of complicated problems, folks. It's frustrating to the president, too, folks. He goes, honestly, I felt the same way under President Trump when he was confronted with two hot wars, record inflation, and impossible energy prices. Oh, wait, that's not right. There were neither wars nor inflation during Trump's term. The U.S. was energy independent. Gas was cheap precisely because he flooded the market with oil for the taking. Actually, now that I think about it, I recall that despite a remarkable period of global calm and even a historic peace deal reached between Israel and the Arab world, the Trump era was marked by nonstop hysterics from the media about our supposedly shaken allies and emboldened foes. 
example, Trump demanded that Western Europe live up to their part of the NATO bargain and made it known that the U.S. cannot solve all the world's problems, especially when large parts of the world don't see them as problems. But back to Biden. He's not confronting or managing a series of events that happened to him. He and his party actively created them. Or at a minimum, they created an environment that anyone could have predicted would lead to them. And this goes through all the different, you know, things that we have talked about before. Yeah, right. You know, whether it's, well, the Hamas thing, why did Biden change the policy of the Biden or the Trump administration and ensure that Iran had billions upon billions of dollars to fund the terrorism of Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran proxies that are currently attacking U.S. military sites in the Middle East. Right. And still hasn't changed it. Nope. Biden isn't a knight. And we talk, we, we've talked about everything else. We've talked about inflation, of course. Mm. We've talked about the border. Biden isn't a knight of the kingdom off to slay a dragon. He's a dunce screwing up everything. He doesn't get to turn the economy and international stability into ruins and then get credit for saying he takes it all very seriously. He's not struggling or managing, and it's not complicated. Biden is the struggle. He is the thing to manage. He is the complication. You know, it goes along with what I said uh, a week or two ago, that, you know, one of the things when you look at it like the situation with Iran. It's it's not just that Biden can't continue what Trump put into play. You know, that was a Trump deal. So he had to reverse it. The bigger problem is that Biden now can't reverse Joe Biden. Biden can't undo Biden. It's not just that he's doing the opposite of what Trump was doing. It's the it's that now that it's not working, clearly not working on so many fronts, as is pointed out here. Biden can't reverse Biden. Biden's not going to go against Joe Biden. That's not going to happen. It won't happen in our lifetime. And it is him. It, it's it, and it's, you know, beautifully put the you know, he's the dunce. We've been saying since the beginning, this is a person who's never had to govern, not as a senator, not as vice president. He's never, ever had to govern. And now we know he is fully incapable of governing. Well, I I think Biden's a perfect example of a politician that has no idea how the real world works. Yeah. I think it's a perfect example. Right. Always been employed by the government. Right. Never yeah. worked in business, never right. worked in industry. Right. Has no idea how things run. Well, he otherwise, had a business that just wasn't legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about he the family for, business. He got paid from the private sector. Okay. My bad. <laughs> I apologize. My bad. <laughs> and business is good. You know, it's like, look, there are just obvious statements that were completely and totally idiotic. Which gave, which should have given everybody that indication. By 2035, everything will be solar and wind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're nuts. And that's why we use words like insanity. Why didn't he just go full on 2025? 
I don't know. I mean, it, but it, but it's it's like saying we will. We will now. Did he? Didn't he make a cancer speech again recently? Uh, talked about that the was goal a few was weeks ago. Cancer and yeah, we're well on our way to it. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's you know he he's it's it's like he got up there by next month we will defeat gravity, right? And that's you know and, and so when he said that back. At the you know when his in his campaigning the beginning of his presidency that by twenty thirty five will be all solar and wind you knew at that point he was completely and totally clueless maybe some maybe many Americans didn't know that because they're clueless well here's the thing he's clueless as you point out uh, and I, I I agree with you I think it's a great point he is the example of not knowing how the real world works but he also doesn't know how it works politically has he done the math on 2035 it's now just over 11 years away because the playbook always always on the left was that you kick it way down the road Mm mm-hmm Especially on things like climate change, environment, all of that stuff. You slow your roll because politically you can get away with it. You ramp up the mandate just enough to show that you're doing something and be able to brag about the fact that you did something. But he went full on 2035. It's not going to happen. And what have you seen in the last two weeks alone, OEM stepping up going, uh, yeah, we can't do this. It's not affordable. People can't buy these cars. People don't want these cars. We're going to have to put the brakes on this transition on EVs. Then you see the, the cost of the maintenance and repairs for wind and solar, which, by the way, was always going to be the case, something we've been talking about for years. You don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be an energy expert. It's pretty simple. The components of those generators, the wind farms or the solar farms, they're going to need to be replaced. They're going to be need, need to be repaired along the way. They're not going to work in certain extreme conditions. Like, you know, when it's cloudy. It's, it's absolutely ludicrous. But he doesn't even see the political playbook. Back in the day, you used to be able to, you know, pretend to be a hero. And you talk uh, like a cocktail socialist. <laughs> Remember that whole Obama. thing with Obama? Yeah. I, I coined that, by the way. Yeah. Under my plan of cap and trade, electricity rates would necessarily skyrocket. Forget what I say about coal, whether it's good or bad. These operations would have to retrofit. They would pass that on to the consumer. That's almost verbatim what he said to the San, San Francisco Chronicle in 2008. Mm-hmm. And 
but it was still one of these cocktail socialist discussions. Yeah, that would be great. Hey, wouldn't it be great if we could just power everything from the breeze and the sun? Wouldn't it be great if we could just get all this and not ever have to stop and buy that mean old gasoline again? Wouldn't it be just great if we could just hop into our car and it would go endlessly, magically? The fact of the matter is, is that it doesn't work that way. It never has. And doing things is hard and transitioning to a more efficient source of energy has always been, always been about making things easier, more efficient, more cost-effective in people's lives. And that's where the demand comes in. Otherwise, we would have been tearing down the doors of Lowe's and Home Depot a long, 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 long time ago as a society to run everything on wind and solar. You can't get there from here. You can supplement this and supplement that, and you can make a YouTube channel off of living off the grid. But when you get into the grown-up discussion, it doesn't work that way. Adults know that you need an infrastructure, California, for delivering. You need to make sure that it's going to be there for people because we're not just talking about the conveniences of air conditioning, although in, in, in some cases, including our state of Texas or Arizona or Nevada, air conditioning can mean the difference between life and death. We are talking about people's safety. When we talked about what was going on in Texas, this ludicrous idea, that Texas, as a massive energy producer, couldn't deliver energy because it got too cold. That was a line. The state of Texas had crossed a line, and they had screwed up big time. And you see what's going on everywhere, all of these mandates, and no one can tell you, here is the roadmap. Here is how we're going to fulfill these mandates, and it is doable. In fact, you have the opposite. The once obedient OEMs, their CEOs and CFOs are now saying, no, we can't do it. It's not going to happen on the timeline that you want it to happen on just because you picked a calendar date it doesn't work that way and at that same time uh the story started coming out about expect a bailout for the failed yeah. subsidy driven yep uh uh you know ev business and uh electricity business mm-hmm. natural gas and or excuse me wind and and, and solar, solar and, mm-hmm. and all this we're gonna have to bail out every we pre-bailed them out because they couldn't make a profit on their own right but I think the most interesting thing is, you know, when you realize that this is the first time in American history. And I, there was an interesting, interesting article that we brought to you a few weeks ago that said the first time in, Amer- in history of the world that we have introduced products that the marketplace has not introduced the products that make your life better and more efficient 
but the central planners in the government. And this is where you can relate it to communism, where the communists, you know, the, the, the party in power decide what you should buy. They decide, the central planners, how to run an economy, not mm. the marketplace, no, no. by producing things. And this is the first time in American history, as you see, with energy that's so critical, with solar and wind and EVs, where we're doing the exact opposite. And the central planners, which is the the government, is lying to you. Yeah. Yeah. Lying to. to you about your, you are, your, and the public doesn't buy it. The public sees through the lie. Yeah. You know, you're buying a better product that's more efficient and more productive and easier for you to use and cheaper. Yep. But it's not. No. You heard Buttigieg. Where's Buttigieg lately? Remember, he was out there about a month ago talking about, well, no, electric vehicles are going to be cheap. And the senator asked him, what the hell are you talking about? Tell me the last time any automobile went down in price. Well, and then he said, we need to, we need to, yeah, we need to, uh, uh, we need to bring the prices down. And everybody took from that very clearly. Well, you work for the government. You're the transportation secretary. What that means is we need greater federal money being right. given so right. that people can afford it. Well, that's not affordability. No. That's simply passing the cost onto people that aren't buying that the aren't product. Buying them. So it's inefficient across the board. Right. The marketplace isn't involved in this whatsoever. Productivity, efficiency, better quality of life. None of that is in, taken into consideration. It's simply the central planners in government are deciding what products you should buy, yep. what are the right products you should buy. And since nobody wants them, you, the taxpayer, if you don't buy it, will still be subsidizing the cost of it. Yep. Yeah, that's how to run an economy, folks. Mm-hmm. We're, idiots, we're idiots for buying into it in the first place. Yeah. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. Hey, Trent, I'm Radio. He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara. You know, one of the things that we had brought uh, to you, uh, it was either late last week, yeah, I think it was late last week, is that one of the reasons you're not going to be able to see solar and wind take care of the grid is because of the massive power lines you're going to need. And the cost of that is unbelievable. It's something yeah. that you and I yeah. brought up years ago, and really the, you didn't see much on it. Well, now California's experiencing it. They cannot get the electricity from wind and solar uh, panels to market because they don't have the power lines to do so. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> it just, it just is there anyone in central planning even paying attention? I don't think so. Just weird.
You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. You know what really intrigues me? You know, I, I saw you know this story out there. UAW reaches a deal with GM, ending strike against Detroit automakers. And as we pointed out, it doesn't matter what deal they strike. It's whether economically they can survive it. And yeah, right. and when you had, who was it? Oh, Lauren Summers. Come out and say this is almost like a negotiation endgame. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, was Obama right. economist Lawrence Summers, as if okay, we're not going to be able to survive anymore. Hail as, Mary, as, as a as a company, so get whatever you can get now. And it was interesting because it was just yesterday we were talking about the number of stories over the last couple of days talking about the fact of because it's really it's just really built up the last two weeks. Uh, the automobile companies talking about EVs and you know and cutting back their production. Uh, goals on it and talking bluntly about how they can't do this and the public doesn't want it uh and at the same time you have the you know the uh, uaw reaching deals now with with all the detroit automakers but the couple of stories that came out saying watch out here's what's coming up next the bailout of all the automobile companies the bailout of wind companies and solar companies yeah that basically everything that's been set up by the left in this country to subsidize what the central planners are telling us is a way to run an economy and run energy is not going to be able to make it, even though it's been pre-bailed out. Because that's right. what you're doing. The The industry would not exist without the pre-bailout, right. which is your taxpayer dollars going to support what the consumer doesn't want. And so I just found it interesting that the <laughs> the, uh, the the day after we were bringing you the a, a few stories about, uh-oh, don't be surprised, it's coming very soon, mm. a bailout near you. Now think about it. This isn't a bailout of the private sector anymore. It's a bailout of the government dictating to the these companies what they must do and the companies not being able to make a profit because hey guess what the democratic party doesn't know how to run a damn damn economy mm-hmm. in fact nobody does except the marketplace and i just thought it was interesting that the day after eh, the bailouts are coming and all of a sudden uaw reaches a deal with gm and I wonder if that's what's in the back of the mind of these CEOs. Well, that I, we're going to get. I wonder if the message has been sent yeah. to these uh, CEO uh, CEOs. We're go- we're going to give you more subsidies, and we're going to bail you out if you need it in the long run. Or at least that seems to be the hope, the consensus hope. And I thought, you know, with UAW making these deals. And now it looks like they've got tentative deals across the board. The timing looked like it was going hand in hand. Because if you look at the Ford CFO, uh, you know, the other OEM saying, we're going to have to tap the brakes on EVs. We've reached a point where people don't want to buy them. 
They're too expensive. And that basically is lobbing the ball back into the court of the federal government. That's what I saw that as, especially as the UAW reached those agreements. I thought, okay, this seems to be a concerted effort in sending a loud message. Hey, we got your union folks taken care of for now, but we can't keep making a profit here. And it all came together at the same time. I know. Those deals were announced just a few days apart, and at the, it was happening in the within a few days of all these uh, CEOs and CFOs making these statements on EVs. Mm-hmm. That's not a coincidence, I don't think. So you see, the the left genuflecting to the altar of climate change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and identity politics. Yeah. Just to take two examples here. How do you back off either? They can't. How do you as a party say, well, you know, we like the planet as a friend. But we're going to have to, you know, put this whole saving the planet thing off. How do you reverse it? What will the public think when the Democrats come and say we need to bail out the automobile industry to save America? This isn't like last time. It's because of the mandated EVs and everybody knows it. Exactly. And those EVs were already given government money. Right. But how do you back off? Everything, everything that you're about is about the government planning the economy right. because the private sector will destroy the world. Hmm. That That's the message, right? Yeah. How do you back off on that? How, it's like identity politics. How do you back off when you have spent the last 40 years promoting the fact that liberalism and the Democratic Party judges people by groups and not as individuals to the point where Nancy Pelosi in 2018 was challenged by Tim Ryan because he said, we have to stop this identity politics. We have to judge people as individuals and not by groups. He's gone. Nobody wants to hear that anymore. They're fully behind identity politics. You judge people as a group. Not as an individual. That is cemented in higher education today that is run by uh, liberals. You've seen now how far they'll take identity politics, the left, which is now justifying the Hamas beheading of children and killing of civilians in Israel. And now you see it to the point of producing products that the American public doesn't want because they're too expensive, not as efficient, not as productive, and the insanity of that we can run the grid on solar and wind, which you can't 
I know they throw occasionally in their nuclear, but tell me where they're going to build nuclear plants in the United States. Right. Who wants it in their backyard? So we're on this path to economic, energy, and national security suicide. But how do you back off when that is the core of the other major party? Climate change, identity politics. Yeah. that Those are core beliefs. They're not fringe beliefs. Now, it may be a fringe or a growing belief of young people in the Democratic Party that anti-Semitism is okay, but that's the extension of the identity politics. And once you start judging people as a group and not as an individual, you have no idea where the hell it's going to go. And that's no. what's happening right now. Yep. And it's even freaking out some Democrats going, my God, what happened? Well, you've been judging people through identity politics. This has been a problem. I didn't see any Democrats saying, look, Clarence Thomas's color of his skin has nothing to do with the way that he believes. Let's just attack his argument. Let's not say he's an Uncle Tom because all blacks are supposed to think alike. Where were Democrats screaming about that type of stereotyping? Never happened. Never. Never happened. And so this is this is what you get. And on the same thing with climate change. How can you back off once you say this is the solution to a clean environment and saving the world? Once you've gone out, once you've stepped out on that plank... And you're walking that plank. How do you come back on the ship? I, there's no turning it around in our lifetime. I, I don't believe that at all. There's, there, there's, there is no way. There's no roadmap for that. Because politically, everything is out. It's out the window. The political playbook has been burned. It's gone. What I was mentioning earlier, you know, you boil the frog slowly. You sell people on the abstract, knowing you're not going to be in office when reality comes. All that's gone. It's gone. And everything, look at everything right now that's landing at the feet of the Democratic Party. And it's, and it's almost everything. I mean, it's almost <laughs> everything. Because when you when you add the anti-Semitism, it is, and we've talked about this with with everything with it with inflation with uh, with energy with the border and all this other stuff before the attack on Israel. Defund the defund, defund the, police. the police. We. We, we, we've been saying for a long time, if we were sitting in that political war room, we would have said, you're insane. Don't, don't repeat this to anybody. That's a horrible idea. Yet they went out and did it on every front and now have added this proud promotion of their anti-Semitism. I don't know what it looks like in Chicago next summer. 
at their convention. But man, I can't wait. Because it's not going to, the, all of these calls, and, and, and this is exactly, and Hamas knew this, all these calls were Israel to, to essentially, from the beginning, to stand down. Well, they also know that that's not going to happen. Netanyahu, if you, in, in case you had any question about it, I think he answered that yesterday. No, they're going to go after their enemy. They're going to defend themselves. And the left is going to play the Hamas playbook, not the Democratic Party playbook anymore, because there isn't one. I don't know what that even looks like. Yeah, because, uh, again, we're not we're not saying that all uh, Democrats are like the uh, what's going on in the college campuses today and with no. these professors. But they're trying to ride that line by saying we support Israel, but Israel, maybe you should consider a ceasefire. And that's where the anti-Semitism comes in. And the anti-Semitism comes in uh, in in helping to finance uh, Iran, which then finances their proxies to attack Israel and the United States. And if you're a Democrat, a rank-and-file Democrat, I don't know how you separate yourself from it unless you just decide, okay, look, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do activism anymore. I'm not going to do I'm not going to respond to people on social media, whatever. I don't know, because I believe it's the overwhelming majority of rank and file Democrats who are not anti-Semitic. Well, they go listen to their Taylor Swift, I guess, albums. Right. You just ignore it and hope it'll go away. Because, yeah, because Republicans and conservatives are not Taylor Swift fans. Yeah, exactly. It's all liberals. Right. Watch, I get a response to that one. Somebody gets upset about that. Yeah. Well, I'm a Republican. I like Taylor Swift. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Cordian. I'm Gary McNamara. Mm. Mm. Voice from the past speaks yesterday. No. Andrew no. Cuomo. Really? That if everything hadn't happened, he would probably be primarying Biden. Okay. What are the reasons and what are the issues? Well, he doesn't say. <laughs> we'll have that coming. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you know what he doesn't say. And the reason that this caught my interest was we had talked about Dean Phillips yesterday mm. uh, in his interview on the Sunday morning news shows mm-hmm. and noticed that when he was asked specifically what he would do different, he couldn't state anything that he would do different than Biden. Basically just said he's too old. Right. Mentioned all said he supports his policies, but we've got horrible economic conditions out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. All the, he pointed out what was wrong, right? With with all the policies that he supports, but Biden, that Biden is, doing is doing a great job. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I find it interesting because it's like, do they even know where to go? I don't think they do. I don't think they do.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. I'm looking at the from bestproducts.com. The best, the best 50 Halloween costumes. The best 50 Halloween costumes. Yes. Sorry. Okay. They got nothing. It's, There's nothing. It's, are these the... Barbie. Okay. Well, because of the movie. Western Barbie. All right. Batman. All right. Mario. Mm. The Handmaid's Tale costume. Okay. Share from Clueless costume. Not, mm. not sure the singer. The right, other. yeah. Beer pong cup costume. Okay. Winifred Sanderson from Hocus Pocus. Ariel from yeah. Little Mermaid. Yeah, yeah. That was. They did a. They redid that movie. Uh, jo- live action. John Snow from Game of Thrones. All right. Bob Ross costume. Okay. <laughs> a Spider-Man, I mean it's yeah. a Joker. Yeah. Really nothing. My <laughs> my youngest grandchild, my grandson number 8, he's going as The Flash. And they found a really good costume. It's it's a good costume. Uh, sadly, it did not make him any faster. <laughs> but he's pretty excited about it. And the rain has cleared out, so it looks like it'll be a good night for them to go and grab some candy. Uh, trying to think. None of my other grandkids are going. Oh, wait a minute. No. Two others, and I don't know what their costumes are yet. Uh, my daughter, their mom, uh, went a few weeks ago and they got them. and But they did not reveal. So I have to wait for the pictures. They live about an hour and a half north of us. So they're going to send us pictures. It's been a while since I had a bunch of grandkids going. My granddaughter will, uh, my granddaughter, my youngest daughter will be uh, monitoring the door. Most of the time she'll sit on the porch because our, our block is basically, it will come in waves because my neighbor across the street does his, his lawn. And it's, I mean, there's something covering every square inch of his lawn. It's all lit up and, Great. Looks great. And it attracts a ton of people. It's really good. And uh, so when they hit that house, they usually hit a few others on our block. But I'm going to be sound asleep, hopefully, 
during most of it. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll miss it all, and yeah. uh, you know, I, I guess uh, I didn't even I didn't even realize. I mean, there would have been this past weekend when like bars and stuff held, you know, Halloween parties and things I, like do that. They, yeah. I I guess they still do it. I mean, yeah, I, don't know. I, I, you know, there, I, it, it's funny because this year I haven't noticed any really adult friends talking about dressing up and going out. That seemed to be right. something that I would see more. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you this the last time I dressed up for Halloween, 1989, the year. Mm. The the year I became a talk show host. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> In fact, I was, uh, yeah, because it would have been October of 89. I started uh, my talk show in the beginning of the month, and then we had a radio station party. Right, yeah. We had a Halloween party for the radio station, so we had, that was, and that yeah. was, and I was station manager, so I felt like. I had to participate <laughs> in 96, right before I came to this job, the, uh, I worked at a rock station and we had basically a contest during the day. So just wear your costume and then people will vote and the winner gets whatever. And I dressed as Bob Dole. I basically just put a suit on and combed my hair the way, cause it was mm-hmm. Dole versus Clinton that year. And it was, just a few days before that election. And, you know, I just went around the office. Bob Dole wants your vote. Bob Dole wants your vote. You know, that, that that's all I did. And it was last it was last minute. I was leaving for the office that morning. I thought, I could just put a suit on, comb my hair. I had to beef up my eyebrows because back then Bob Dole had some eyebrows. <laughs> so he had some killer eyebrows. <laughs> So that's all I did (laughs) in a very liberal rock station. Guess who didn't win? You. Bob Dole. Bob Dole didn't win. So he had Andy Rooney eyebrows. Oh, man, he had some thick ones. (laughs) You ever wonder why Bob Dole had such thick eyebrows? I think I dressed up as a cowboy or Clint Eastwood or something like that and and it was again last minute. I mean, I didn't want to really do it, but yeah, it's uh, so since '89. So it's been uh, 30, 34 years. 30, yeah, thirty-four years since I. All right, just uh, don't care. I love, as I said yesterday, I love handing out the candy. I love it I, for the kids. Yeah, I won't be able to do it, yeah. and and I love, I love Halloween for the for the kids. And the yeah. last time, as yeah. I said. In October of 2020, which was the last time I was able to hand out candy, and it was, you know, and and it was it was crazy that year. I mean, mm. it was if the kids had just been let out, and I actually had these kids. There was about five of them show up. They had a boombox, and they said, "You want to see us perform?" I go, "Yeah." And they put Ghostbusters on, and they were dancing to Ghostbusters All in right. the driveway. All right. I mean, it was, and I got video of it. It's, <laughs> it was like it was great. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. really, really yeah. great because I had probably. 30 kids in my driveway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just felt, you go, okay, all right. You know, you live in you live in a neighborhood and you're just with me. Mm-hmm. You know, even my neighbors say, we never see you. We see mm-hmm. you cutting the lawn. That's it. Yeah. It's like, well, that's about all I do. You're like that old man <laughs> on Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but I saved the kid at the end. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Uh, now, I did not. I did not. Uh, view myself in uh, th- in that type of imagery. <laughs> yeah. I don't view myself yeah. as being. I don't believe I look that old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you say so. Uh, I I really oh, do man. love it for the kids. I mean, yeah, so I I love it anytime I can see kids just kind of, you know, just having fun. I mean, I remember as a kid how exciting it was. And back then, it was never about the costume. We didn't care. We'd scramble last minute. You know, whatever. Put something together. It didn't matter. And then we'd grab a an empty pillowcase and go door to door. Are there any banned costumes this year? Any, any, it, have the woke police? Because, you know, I thought, because hmm. I just, I just saw this here as I was looking for just different Halloween topics, and, right. and and I saw this. Can adults wear Halloween costumes? Well, yeah, they can. We number we, one, it we, should be on Halloween, right? We we <laughs> we live in the United States of America, so yes, yeah. there is no law keeping you. And then, is dressing up as an old person ageism? And the, depends on how old you are. Well, it's funny because they they had an answer. Betty Ann Moskowitz is a former ombudsman for long-term care patients and the author of a book, Finishing Up on Aging and Ageism. Moskowitz said that dressing up as an old person for Halloween or any other occasion for that matter is not only belittling but represents that kind of uh, casual ageism found in our society. No. Well, look, I guess I'm officially old and I don't care. Yeah, I don't care either. I don't care. Yeah. It's like... Oh, what was, uh, I mean, the favorite thing when I was a kid to dress up as, because it was the easiest thing. I didn't want to wear one of the plastic masks. Mm -hmm. So it was like you always wanted to go as a hobo Mm -hmm. because it was easy. Right. You just took some charcoal and rubbed it on your face, Mm -hmm. got your oldest clothes out. Mm -hmm. You got a stick, put a little bag at the end, Mm -hmm. and you walked around. Yeah. And it was like, but you're making fun of homeless people. No. At that moment, I wanted to be that person. Well, see, here's the thing. Back then, we didn't have homeless people. <laughs> there weren't any. Uh, it's <laughs> We were great again. And we, and we mean you, Austin, Texas. Um, but, but, you know, I it was it was anything. I mean, you know, uh, I would grab a. A cowboy hat and a western shirt. Yeah, because it was yeah. The, somebody the, could do that the, real quick. The problem always on that one was finding a horse, but I found one. <laughs> Eventually, I always found one. Uh, I you know it and one year I put on my baseball uniform. I kid I, you not, I just dressed up in uh, my I, like I was going to a game. I did that in my football uniform yeah. one day. Yeah. When Little League football. Right. I didn't care. I just want the candy. What are you supposed to be? A <laughs> uh, baseball player? Give me the candy. Yeah. I I didn't put a lot of thought into it. And I do remember far back enough when those really horrible masks 
you know, the plastic mask that had the really flimsy rubber band on it. Yeah, oh, that's what I mean. I hated those. Okay. If you compared that to what my grandson has this year, back then you would have to have gone to Hollywood to get the uniform or the the uh, costume that he has this year. It's so vastly different. It oh. was just, you know, back then it was, we just grab it off the rack at wherever, I guess. I wasn't buying it. What do you want to go ask? Well, here, and then, I don't know, when you turned five, <laughs> you could stop doing that. But it was, I, I, I would just put anything together. It didn't matter. 15 offensive Halloween costumes that should not exist. Okay. This is this year's update, okay? All right. All right. Number one, a Holocaust victim. Well, yeah. Well, unless you're on the side of Hamas this year. Because this was written. I guess there's room for it now. This was written in September. Yeah, for those protesting in favor of Hamas. Right. Wow. Anything involving blackface, well, except if you're a Democrat. Or the Prime Minister of Canada. Or Hollywood. Yeah. Transphobic costumes. I don't know what that would be. Well, I guess if you would... uh, There's one, uh, a transphobic grandmother here. I... It's where you're a man who dresses up in a dress and you have a broom and you're wearing older clothes. So you're transphobic and ageist at the same time. You're not Mrs. Doubtfire? I guess you can't do Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, Okay. All right. The COVID-19 pandemic. Why not? It 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 shows a guy with his hands out and his midsection is basically... Looks like a COVID nineteen cell. <laughs> like okay. just, yeah, just, I mean, just the cell. Yeah. All right. I wouldn't I mean, even know what the hell you were. Where I, are yeah, you? I mean, that's the thing. I I wouldn't. I don't know why anyone would want to dress like it, and I don't know. It, see, that's the thing about being offended. It's so foreign to me. Body shaming and objectifying costumes. When it comes to disrespecting women, this costume gets it wrong on several levels. It not only reduces women to sex objects, but it turns women's weight into joke. Think about it this way. You wouldn't say it to a friend's face. Don't wear it as a Hollywood costume. Outfits that make fun of people's sizes. So sumo wrestler is out. Yes. Okay. Cultural stereotypes. Well... All right. That encompasses a lot. A terrorist. Mm. Well, now it's all the rage on college campuses this year. Right. Hey, let's be a terrorist. All right. Yeah. Mm. Zombie versions of deceased celebrities. (laughs) Well, I thought that one was funny. Yeah, I don't know who's offended by that. I mean... Okay, an eating disorder. A few years ago, an online store took some heat for releasing a costume called anorexia. Okay. The incredibly poor taste outfit included a skeleton dress with a measuring tape belt 
around the waist. Okay. And 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 uh, this one probably this probably is be the top one that might offend people. Animal cruelty costumes. Well, yeah. I don't know what they are, but yeah, a mentally ill person. Mm-hmm. Uh, no costume that promotes sexual harassment. An unhoused person. Oh, I guess that means homeless now. Hobo, and, as we used to and, say, and back it's in exactly the day, it's got the means kid yeah. with the stick with the bag at yeah. the back. Yeah, you can't do that. And and you know you put and you put you know you the charcoal on your face. Not that it's blackface; it's dirt, dirt or a beard, like a three or four a day beard, you're right? Or a basically beard. Right. what I have right. right now. Yes, yes. <laughs> three or four day growth. That's what it was. Uh, a national tragedy, and number fifteen, the Black Lives Matter movement. Except now, since they're a joke, it would be acceptable. Hmm. Since we know what they now are, right? Yeah. No, I'm not going to wear a Black Lives Matter. Well, I I don't get the gimmicky ones. Or, or, or Guess any. what I am, and then it's, uh, oh, I see the joke. Yeah. And then for the rest of the night, I mean, if you're at a party or whatever, it's like, yeah, the joke pretty much was done at the door. Or any other social justice movement. I can't go as Greta then? Climate change? How dare you? Can't do a climate change? How dare you? How dare you? 866-90-RED-EYE. Brought to you by Hotshot Secret. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller. And I'm here to share a tip on roadside inspections. Roadside inspections all begin with the driver interview, during which the officer will gather basic information from the driver and prepare the driver for the inspection. The officer will also be evaluating the driver, determining if the driver can speak English, is under the influence of anything, has an illness, or is fatigued. The officer will ask the driver for required documents, including vehicle and driver credentials, the driver's log, and shipment paperwork. The officer may also conduct a vehicle inspection. Before beginning the inspection, the officer will take steps to make sure the inspection can be done safely. These include chalking the wheels, wearing personal protective equipment, and explaining what will be required of the driver. The driver needs to pay close attention to these instructions so that the vehicle inspection can be conducted in a manner that is safe for the inspection official. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up on the bottom of the hour, what does Andrew Cuomo have to say? Mm. Uh, he made it clear yesterday that if everything hadn't happened, what happened, he would probably be primarying Biden now. Yeah. Well, if everything mm. hadn't happened, you might be president now. Yeah, that would have <laughs> happened sooner, right? <laughs> yes.
so good, you know you want to listen again with our podcast, available on our app and at RedEyeRadioShow.com. And he is Eric Carling, and I'm Gary McNamara. I just saw this uh, article headlined, All Right, Maybe Gavin Newsom Is the Best Alternative for Democrats. Rich Lowry wrote it. You ready? All right. When you're a politician knocking over a kid while trying and failing to make a ridiculous basketball move, is never a good look, but that's not the key thing about this Gavin Newsom clip. Mm. No, look at the recovery, the cradling of the kid to cushion the blow, the yeah. hug, and good-natured thumbs on the back, and the big grin. This is genuine political skill, people, uh-huh. and we should all pay <laughs> heed. Uh, yes, yeah, you and I were talking about that. I think it was uh, yesterday's yes. pre-show meeting mm-hmm. and how cringe the recovery from it was first of all you're on the court the cameras are rolling you're on the court with children how about you give the ball to the children instead of committing a flagrant charging foul taking one to the ground i like when you said it reminded you of the seinfeld episode uh kramer with the karate it really was karate all over again like Okay, guys, what do you got? Come at me. And then he charges. Like, dude, this is not about you. Oh, wait. According to you, it is. Kramer, you're taking on children. (laughs) No, we're all at the same skill level. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I saw them make some baskets before I showed up, (laughs) before I got on the court. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we found this interesting because we just wonder where the Democratic Party is going to go in 2024, mm-hmm. just in general, based on all the issues that exist out there. We already read the column earlier in the show that said, you know, as we have stated for the longest time, how the media covers Biden, that things are so complicated, but he's trying and he's trying and he's trying and he's trying, as if these are just organic problems that come out and they're just too complicated. These are complicated things. And He's doing so much instead of talking about the fact that he caused the problems. And so you wonder, any Democrat that starts talking that they're going to run, it's like, where are they going to go? You know, Cornell West. Well, okay, Cornell West has got his niche with liberals. Mm -hmm. He's come out as an Mm anti-Semite backing Hamas. Yeah. All right. So at least he has staked his position solidly within the le- the the far left of the Democratic Party. Right. You know, Robert Kennedy Jr., I have no idea where he is with Democrats right now. <laughs> I just have no idea. Yeah. Andrew Cuomo. Now he's not going to run, but he said if he if everything hadn't happened, he probably would be running right now. So I went, "Okay." I thought to myself, "Let me read this story." Because Cuomo, as you know, back in 2020, if you remember, by the time we got to June, remember, it was really May and June. Remember, Biden can't do it. We need him. Remember the, the, uh, oh, the compliments. Oh, yeah. That were going, that we couldn't believe because we were paying attention and we paid attention what happened in, in, uh, in New York. With the the nursing homes and everything else, yeah, the handling and, of COVID, and, and then then he wrote the book and everything else, and he was like being anointed this this that he's a deity 
that is the guy that really should be running for president and not Biden. Well, that didn't last too long, as you remember. But so you start thinking, all right, he's not running. It's all a hypothetical. All right, what would he run on? Because that's the thing that we're trying to figure out. If there's opposition to Biden, what would Newsom, if Newsom was going to run, what would he run on? Well, former New York Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo said he would probably be primarying President Joe Biden right now if he was not forced out of office. I think there should be a Democratic primary, he said on Bill Maher, for two reasons. One, because I don't know that candidate Biden is the strongest candidate that we can put up, and frankly, I doubt it. Secondly, and even more importantly, I think the Democratic Party has to engage with real people and real voters on a different level. They're too much in Washington. They're too much. Trump is no good and Trump is a bum. You can't run on banking that the other guy is going to lose. Running against someone else is not as strong as running for something, according to Cuomo, who denounced the malign influence of fear-driven politics and cancel culture. You have to have an affirmative strategy to win. And the truth is there has been a paralysis of government, right? Mm -hmm. You have social division. Political polarization equals government paralysis. And that is on the ground. And they have to see that and they have to answer that. Then it goes in talking about, you know, Cuomo resigned and all that other stuff. Cuomo blasted Biden for working to oust him as governor. I think what Biden's calculus was, he Biden was accused by Tara Reid of improprieties. Mm -hmm. And Cuomo said other women came out. He smelled my hair. He wanted to quickly distance himself from this. He could have said, you know what? I went through this. Let's take a deep breath and actually get the facts before we ask the governor to resign. But Biden allowed cancel culture to force the action before hearing Cuomo's series of stories, Cuomo said. Hmm. The only thing is, I read the entire thing. There is no issue that Cuomo says he would run on. He mentioned cancel culture, but that is in regards to himself. Well, and, you know, this seems to be so far the play by those that are talking about somebody else other than Biden. You know, keeping in mind the majority of his party doesn't want him to be the guy. They're answering that call, but they're not actually completely answering it by saying, okay, the reason you don't want him here is because of this. And it's not his age. But that's a small part of it. It's everything else that he's created. Well, we had mentioned Dean Phillips yesterday, and Dean Phillips didn't give any. He was asked specifically, what would you do different And he simply went through what the problems are that Biden created, Mm. but didn't say Biden created it, just said these are the situations he's facing. And I agree with all of his policies. So when it got down to it, when you actually read what he said, it was simply the fact I'm younger, he's old. So the Democrats, so the one Democrat that's running that was asked specifically what you would do or what differentiates yourself from Biden, he said uh, in he communicated to the public. Uh, ageism. Yeah. I'm younger. He's old. Right. Discriminate against him. Vote for me. 
Right. Uh, and so I found it interesting to see what Cuomo would say. And Cuomo did not say anything about specifically because, you know, it's does, does he not realize that the one thing the public actually does recognize when he, when he says things like this? <clears throat> he denounced the malign influence of fear-driven politics and cancel culture. You have social division. Political polarization equals government paralysis, and that is on the ground, and they have to see that, and they have to answer that. All right, fine. How does that relate to policy? Right. How would you change something? There is a reason that there is political paralysis. All right? Is there just political paralysis because you say you're a Democrat and I say I'm a Republican? Is that what it's based upon solely the labels or is there political polarization because Biden and the Democrats want open borders? Well, and you know, this is what it comes down to is you have to identify the problem, but you also have to identify the source of the problem and a possible solution of what Mm -hmm. you would do. Mm -hmm. And the Democrats so far, none of the Democrats can really say that, you know, you've got, Uh, You had some on the right say, well, Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, you know, is suspicious about the vaccine, but that's been there, done that. That's over. Right. And the public, as much as they may look back and say, we don't want that to happen again, the biggest situation right now is the economy and inflation. How would Robert Kennedy Jr. get rid of inflation? Now, he did talk tough on the border. Do you buy it, though? No. That's the thing about uh, Robert Kennedy. Do you actually buy it? But with Cuomo and with Phillips, neither. Now, Cuomo isn't running, but I guess that's my point. He's not running and still can't say what he would do different because I don't think that the majority of Democrats believe that the Democrat voter want them to do anything differently than what Biden is doing. And that's the problem that the Democrats have. Yeah, it's, you know, you make a point that, a good point that Cuomo won't even do it. And he really doesn't have, there's no fear of political backlash. No. Why wouldn't you just come out and say it? Yeah. Because when you do... You have to include the entire party in their agenda, which includes you if you're on the left, if you're someone like Cuomo. When you point at Joe Biden, Joe Biden just brought everybody's playbook from the left and ramped it up to the nth degree. They all wanted open borders. They all want to spend like crazy. If they had the power, they would have spent a lot more money. And inflation would be even higher than it is now and would have gone higher than it was at its peak. And that's the one thing they can't do. How do you go in as a liberal and say, what what are you going to say? I'm going to secure the border. I'm going to expand the economy. I'm going to be strong on national defense as a Democrat. No. No, you're walking up to the line, but you really won't cross it because you understand. And that line is, you know, 
where everybody is in your party, if you're a Democrat, the majority of people don't want Biden to run. They're answering that part of it, but not completely. Because if they did completely, they would have to throw the entire party under the bus, including themselves. They were a part of it. Cuomo was a part of it. Yeah. And you can't do that. So where do you go? I don't know where you go. I would just shut up. Saying someone needs to primary, well, you sound like you want to be the guy. I mean, you know, Cuomo's ego is riding pretty strong here, no no doubt. It always does. But he can't actually talk the issues. Well, and when you see it, I mean, the reason I brought up what he what he said and then also Dean Phillips yesterday is nobody can sit there and say, and, and think about this in modern American politics. Mm. We know Biden's numbers are horrible. Here's what he's doing wrong. They can't say that. Can't say it. They say the policies, oh, we agree with the policies. The policies are great. And then they list all the problems that need to be solved. Exactly. Which are the policies that they have backed that Biden created that caused right. the problem. Right. And that's the problem that the Democrats have. They right. can't get past that because they can't change on identity politics. They can't change on nope. climate change. Nope. They can't change on spending and and wanting to central plan what the economy is going to like. They can't change on the border. And the closest that they can get to support Israel is we support Israel, but. We don't want them to do anything about right. national defense on their point, right. on, the, on their part. Or they'll say they do, but they have to be careful. And that's the problem. We'll talk more about that coming up because. When you think about it, it's like, okay, what do you want? Right. Are they, is is Israel, because, you know, you ask, the, the, the that's what I would ask the reporters, well, what, are you, what are you saying? Israel doesn't, we don't have any reports of Israel targeting civilians. In fact, the one case where they were accused of targeting civilians that a lot of you ran with, that was actually Hamas. Yep. And so... How should they fight a war? We'll get to that coming up, 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. And that's a problem with anybody who challenges uh, Biden, uh, and that in- includes Gavin Newsom, because Gavin yeah. Newsom comes in. It's still, well, what would you do differently on the issues? And then he represents California. Right. Which, again, is not a good thing to represent politically right now to the rest of the 49 other states, except maybe for New York, Illinois, and Hawaii. <laughs> you may have a few more states in there, but... <laughs> Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and so that's the that's the problem. Tell us where you stand differently on the issues from from uh from uh from Biden. Well and, and they can't and because they they agree with him on So the you should sit it out. You know, this is the conundrum that they all have. They see it crumbling under Biden, but they really can't move on it.
This is Red Eye Radio on West... John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together... It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.